0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever, whenever, wherever. (sighs) God, am I singing Shakira's songs from the 90s now? What has life come to, really, truly, necessarily? Okay, so, hey, (laughs) at whatever time you're listening to this podcast, welcome. This is your host, Maya. I don't share the last name. This is my policy, okay? And this is by all means necessary. Yet another podcast episode. And God, am I happy about this one? I have lived for this shit, okay? I'm also maybe most qualified to talk about this podcast than anything else because it treats gossip with so much care and so much love, okay? 15-year-old Maya would have lived for this case. How have I only heard about this case like a week ago? What the fuck is my life? Also, I could swear, okay, listen, I'm not powerful enough to contact people behind some of the most famous TV shows. However, if I was, I would definitely contact them and ask them, was this an inspiration behind them? Which shows you might ask? Well, Gossip Girl, for example. Also, the worst television show that has ever been made. Say it with me. Pretty Little Liars. Yes, that one. Because this case must have inspired all of them. I am not lying. This case is fucking epic. Also, I'm going to make the rocket science out of gossiping by the end of this episode, so please stay tuned because nobody does it. Nobody fucking thought to this the way I did, and I have listened to a bunch of podcasts on this case and have researched anything that there is. So... Stay tuned until the very, very fucking end. And also check the fucking weird diagrams that I'm gonna post on Twitter explaining this to you because I'm serious about this case, okay? To put things into perspective, today I'm bringing you to city named Circleville. Again, we are going south, south of the US again. We are back in Ohio, baby. Why am I slapping things? what you need to know about this whole vibe of the place, well, it's a small town. I have also been born in a small town, although the population of my town is about like 10 times the population this, so at the time the population was about 13,000 people. The case I'm mentioning today takes place in the 70s, again, if you think about the 70s US, everybody is chill, nobody locks their doors, it's all like safe territory. This place even had like a circle of pumpkin show. I don't know if they still do it Let me know, they probably do Because it is like small town vibes And it's all nice and homely Until you actually think about it on a deeper scale It's again, one of those places where Murder, corruption, cover-ups It's just don't happen on a daily basis It's one of those things where it's like really shaken by it So now, when you know the background Let's dive straight into this motherfucker Whoa, the excitement for this case is unbelievable <clears throat> professionalism <clears throat> okay. in 1977 in Circleville, Ohio an unknown letter writer terrorized the city exposing an affair that led to death and wrongful imprisonment to this day we still don't know who wrote these letters in this story we have the crimes but not the perpetrators can we still discover what the motives behind the crimes were this is a story of Circleville letter mystery The way I'm going to structure this case is going to be like the discovery and the case the content of these letters and what they have brought for the people in this story, in the center of this story, then the possible suspects, the theories and the motive, just because we don't actually have a background here, we don't know people's childhood, it's not like a classic case where we have the perp and then we can actually discuss why the fuck did they do this, what motivated them psychologically. I'm going to mention a lot of names in this story, but the ones who are in the center of it that you need to remember are Mary and Ron, who are married couple, and then Ron's sister Karen and her husband Paul. So those are the main four characters. So between 1977 and 1983 Mary received around 39 letters in total. What's important to know, and nobody kind of really focuses on this and there are no like letters exposed by other people, but the Circleville letter writer actually wrote thousands and thousands of letters to other recipients in Circleville. But Mary has been chosen, or targeted, or whatever you want to call it, as the focal point for this writer. So one afternoon, I like to imagine it as an afternoon, because um, you'll see the content of the letters, but basically I like to imagine her husband was, like, out at work, and at first they were like, yeah, we're just gonna put it into her letterbox. So Mary Gillespie got a letter, written in, like, very bulky block letters. I'm gonna post these on the socials. It was written in, like, a very accusatory tone of voice, accusing her of having an affair with Gordon Massey, who was the superintendent of the school system. And Mary was a bus driver. So she was, like, a school bus driver. So, things to know about this letter, basically, there was no return address, which meant that it was probably just put through a postbox rather than people going to the post office. And, well, it said, like, if she was to keep it to herself, that the letter writer is going to inform the school board and to get him fired. So, this is the letter. Stay away from Macy. Don't lie when question about knowing him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. What does she do? She ignores the motherfucking letter because she's like, yeah, whatever the fuck, not exposing me, bitch. She then gets a second letter that says that they know she's keeping it to herself and they are going to put a bullet for her head. The letter reads, Gillespie, you have had two weeks and done nothing. Admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on CBS, posters, signs, and billboards until the truth comes out. She is not the only person getting the letters. This uh, person, human, son of a bitch, sends the letter to the husband as well. So she has had to have discussion now with her husband about like, hey, yes. Yeah, so don't trust them, you know. I assume it went sort of like, yep, yeah, don't trust this. Woman, like letter, they don't know what they're saying. Like, I love you. Uh, I'm definitely not cheating on you. It's clearly nonsense. So at this point, they decide to share the content of the letters with their sibling. This means Ron shares it with Karen who is his sister. And they sort of, like, discuss it, and then Mary and Ron decide, like, listen, this is how we shut them up. We are going to write back to them, saying that we know who they are. And, like, let's see if that intimidates them. And for some time, that worked. So, like, it was all fine until one evening in August, when... Ron received a phone call, and this is, like, again, one of those situations where it's, like, don't let anything, like, untold in these situations. If you receive a phone call and need to, like, run out or do something in a hurry, which will leave things unexplained if something was to, like, happen to you, just always keep tabs with somebody. Just tell somebody, like, hey, this is a call, I'm going there, I'm stressed, but it's gonna be okay, cool, just check in with me in this amount of time. Well, Ron doesn't do that. He receives a phone call, nobody knows what this phone call was about. He then grabs a gun and goes out for a drive. He goes in his truck and he was found dead. His truck swerved off the road and hit a tree. But what was interesting is that before this happened, he apparently fired a shot with this gun before like crashing into a tree this was ruled by the police as an accident and they sort of found like some alcohol in his system so they said like he was drinking but the family was like this is really out of character like he was never a big drinker also he kind of received a call and ran out of the house when did he have the chance to have alcohol Now, while this investigation is happening, several Circleville residents keep getting letters, sharing this whole, like, exposing everybody, sharing the affair, and also saying that the sheriff, Radcliffe, is covering this whole thing up and covering the accident up. So basically being like, this is not an accident, guys. Now, during the next five years, a few things happen. So, Gordon Messi divorces his wife, and Mary and him actually confirm that they were having an affair, but apparently, they haven't started it until, like, these letters came out. Now, I'm not sure that the letter writer intended to be a matchmaking service, so everybody's calling on, like, everything that I've read on the internet is basically, this is the most bullshit story out there, like, what? So you receive the letters accusing you of an affair, and then you're like, well, this is interesting, let's actually have it. Not impossible, okay? I've seen Jane the Virgin, I've seen weird shit out there. But also, I think, like, the whole vibe of this story is targeting people. And, well, I think they needed something concrete to, well, target this family well enough to basically achieve anything, to achieve these divorces, to achieve this accident, however many things that are going to happen. So at that point, it might have been just full-blown affair happening, or it might have been just like, yeah, the two of them flirting, but they definitely should have known each other and, well, have a raised suspicion of whoever wrote this letter. Now this writer starts kind of exposing the, like, rest of the family as well. They will put up, like, the posters around town that the superintendent's son is dating Gillespie's 12-year-old daughter. And as she was a bus driver, she would literally, like, leave the house earlier and just, like, drive around the block taking these posters down. Moving forward to February 1983, five and a half years after the letter writer's attacks on the Gillespie family, they moved to the very next level. Because they're like, yep, yeah, you, you chilled enough. You chilled five and a half years. So now these signs are still around. So she, yet another day, she just pulls her bus by the sign, storms out, goes out to, like, rip it down. But she notices a box that the poster was attached to. And as she is opening the lid, like, splitting the glue that held this, like, whole box kind of contraption together, she finds two large blocks of styrofoam holding a pistol in place and this like whole rope twine thing that was attached to the poster was actually attached to the trigger of the gun Basically, there was this whole booby trap that was designed to fire at anybody who tore down the sign. So this kind of, you could say, slightly escalated as an attempt to murder from like just innocent letters exposing an affair that weren't innocent in the first place. But you could say slight escalation. Now is when Karen's husband Paul comes into picture. So, there's different accounts of this. Either he, like, volunteered information, or it was his wife that actually kind of reported to the police that, hey, my husband kind of has a gun like this, and it has disappeared, and he hasn't reported it missing. Now, pay attention to Karen here, because why don't we know this information? Why do we know whether she volunteered it? Like, who is covering up here for Karen in during this whole fucking time? Like, just think about this, because it will come up later. Like, how is Karen so spared also this brought up such such a great childhood memory by childhood i mean i was a teenager i was like 15 yeah 2007 yeah i was 15 <laughs> i need you to picture this because this is so perfect okay so it's just me going to ask my mom for a very important thing okay so Picture, like, me, 15, long brown hair, kind of curly, slightly butch, wearing all of the colors of this world, nothing is matching, no fashion sense whatsoever, and coming into the room with, obviously, with such an attitude, like, nobody's gonna give me no as an answer, there's no way. In the room is my mom, who is, like, the complete opposite, dressed to perfection, everything is matching, looking glamorous, has makeup, even though she's, like, chilling at home, you know, cup of coffee in one hand. Cigarette in another hand because is like chain smoker ever since I known her <laughs> This is like such a classic like image of my mom like I cannot imagine <laughs> I cannot picture mom without imagining her drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes It's just what, what the fuck that's not like how I imagine my mom Anyways I'm coming in it's it's a mission Like hey ma so can I borrow the burner phone of yours? <laughs> mom is like looking at me like I don't know what you're on it, but like what the fuck <laughs> We don't deal drugs in this family, like, what are you on about? In my head now, this is, this is just in my head, but I'm like, I'm on a mission here to destroy some child's life, okay? I've got the information, I've got the gossip, I just need a burner phone, okay? You cannot deny me this, this is my birthright. So, so my approach is, my, my next approach, I'm, I'm as I describe myself, also 15. Also hyped on every fucking series, telenovelas, everything I've ever watched on television, which is a lot of things. Listen, mom. As long as you don't care about what I do with a burner phone, I won't judge what has been done on that burner phone before. Okay? Mother. <laughs> at this point she's just looking at me like there's no like there's no way to reason with this bitch. She's like, okay, may- maybe just lay off the caffeine like next day, you know, and just like go to your room. She just brushes it off like what is this bitch on about? To which obviously, obviously, <laughs> just turn around. I'm like, ah, it's okay. I'm gonna get my own burner phone, mother. The way that story proceeded is that, yes, I did um, get a burner phone and a SIM card. (laughs) Just to write a single text message to the person and the text message read something like, she's cheating on you. (laughs) I truly, truly, i have just, for one day, just wish to return to my teenagehood just for the impulsive decisions that have been made so yeah then they're, they're no longer together since that time i don't know if i directly affected that or i just shut into their lives but yeah also knowing me and the genius behind you know true crime disposal of evidence i probably just threw that fucking burner phone into like the bin in the kitchen to be just deposited with the rest of fucking garbage luckily you know i um uh, was never a suspect I was always the weirdo kid. You know, even my mom was like, yeah, right. She's gonna take a burner phone. <laughs> Fuck this child. <laughs> the joke's for you now, mother. Mother. Oh, so sorry. This quickly reminded me of one of my earliest memories. Also, probably the earliest best memory that I've ever had, which is trying to run away from home. <laughs> it's not, it's, this is not why it's the best memory. Okay, don't think I was like abused and shit this was my best memory. It's the best memory the best, earliest memory, because it was that successful that I don't think that to this day, well, up until now, if they're listening, anybody knew that I was actually trying to run away from home. That's how successful it was, okay? Basically, like, my home had, like, the front door, and then was, like, a garden bit, and then the second door. I made it through the first door, I don't even know what it was about, I just know I was angry, I was like, losing my shit. Also, this was about 10 years before the 15-year-old meme gig with the burner phones, it was like, five. Yeah. <laughs> Made it through the first door, and then just sat down on the stairs, just probably cooling off for a period of time. You know, pre-planning, like, what, what am I actually going to do? Well, nothing, clearly, didn't plan this, we just ran out of... <laughs> didn't even make it actually technically outside of my fucking house for this to be even considered like running away from home so you know a few minutes later i just buzzed myself in i was like yep yeah, hey yeah i'm just letting myself in and like when my parents asked me like where the fuck did you go i was like oh you know just went to the garden to um chat a bit with myself <laughs> talk to myself a bit duh this was by the way like an excuse used on the rag, The most common excuse by Maya. Way too sad and way too believable. And yet, look at me now. Look at me now, mother. Making a career out of it. We- without getting paid for it, okay? Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Thanks for your donations. <laughs> Also, to whoever is listening to this, that, you know, obviously, clearly, after listening to this, wants to sign a multi-million dollar deal with me as a podcaster, there's plenty more where this came from. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So much more, if you have no idea. Yeah, just uh, sign me on and you're gonna hear all of my childhood stories. Also, it's not like I'm making any new memories now. What was I on about? Okay, continuing with the Cirqueville letter mystery. Uh, Let's do this. This is all that Radcliffe and the rest of the police apparently needed. Paul showed them where he used to keep the gun, and they arrest him and charge him with attempted murder of Mary what happens next is like so frustrating and so like 70s people not knowing what they're doing especially in like small counties and i'm just like screaming when i was reading this screaming inside okay you're gonna scream for your fucking headphones so the police bring him in they're like okay this is how we tie him in obviously he needs a handwriting test cool cool so far so far great you're like yep comparing the notes amazing Let's do it. Like, first of all, they don't even make him write the exact letters where they either be like, copy this text or like, dictate it to him. No, it's just like, random phrases, which I'm like, yep, that's useful as fuck for comparison. But they also ask him to repeat the phrases and repeat the words verbally while he's doing it. Now nobody gets this part. Nobody, like, I'm driven mad inside. Because if anything, this is distracting. My handwriting wouldn't be the same. If I was just to say things verbally, I would probably write up other words as well and just not focus on it at all. So it would just be like scrambled and wouldn't resemble my everyday handwriting. So now they have this apparently matching handwriting. They know his gun wasn't where it was supposed to be. And also his boss testifies that he wasn't at work that day. However, the defense had the alibi witness being like, yep, he was actually with me, so yeah, he was just skipping work, living a fucking best life, didn't think that he's gonna be involved into the plot. Like, conspiracy and murder shit. Something really, again, shady and just making me die inside happens during this trial. Paul Freshour never took the stand, because they made like a plea deal, well, it wasn't a plea deal, because he ended up guilty, so it's like an agreement. Uh, with him and the judge. So if Paul was not to take the stand, they would only release a hundred letters. The so only hundred letters would be available to the jury... If he was to take the stand, they would release all, like, thousands of letters that they had. That just makes you look more guilty if the jury actually knows of this. Because then they're like, okay, so what are you hiding? I guess, like, some of those letters were probably to expose his life. You know, his life with Karen, like, or whatever he had going on. But he just looks tad, tad shady. And the prosecution uses the motive, which is apparently that Mary helped his wife after the two of them divorced, so Karen and Paul. So Mary testifies to this, and that apparently Karen also told her he was behind the letters. The jury goes to deliberate, and they come back after only two and a half hours, which you know where this is gonna go. They are gonna declare him guilty of attempted murder. So he is given seven to twenty five years sentence the shittiest evidence ever seen just the handling of this whole investigation blood boiling if you haven't had enough of that he is in prison but the letters don't stop not just that he keeps receiving these letters in prison as well as other people outside they're all postmarked from columbus which is miles fucking away plus also he's in of a prison. So it's definitely not him. Like, letters are monitored coming in or coming out. So what, either somebody's what helping him post fucking letters for no reason, knowing that this is exactly why he has been, like, in prison. They're making this into a fucking Orange is the New Black plot, okay? This is like... It's like, it's clearly not the guy. They're literally writing to you that he is not the guy. But you're like, no, 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 th- this must be him just saying he's not writing from prison. And so so fucking sadly but because of this he's actually put in the solitary and the letters would still keep coming and the police still wouldn't believe like how how would he be posting them out of the fucking solitary give me logistics this cover-up just doesn't make any sense from the get-go at the seven-year mark he applies for parole he is denied yet again no fucking explanation why no reason now, the letter that he himself got in prison, that is available for the public, goes like this. Fresh hour. Now, when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there? I told you two years ago, when we set them up, they stay set up. Don't you listen at all. No one wants you out. No one. The joke is a new Ha ha. Tell no one of this letter. I saw the paper. Great news. Great The sheriff loved it. Ha-ha. Do you believe it now? Do you? I find these letters so bizarre because most of them do have the ha-ha bit, which is kind of like how modern, pre-time, pre-texting, somebody's just saying ha-ha in letters. But it's clearly like a giveaway kind of thing. Also, he uses abbreviations. He abbreviates set M up without even the apostrophe. I'm like, and is dying. This person is truly like that... (laughs) was born in the wrong fucking century because this is like when today you know when that friend of yours sends you like ha 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 dying and then you they're actually next to you and you're looking at them and they're not even like smiling not even remotely moving their fucking lips and you're like really bitch really the circle letter writer was like groundbreaking just if they were born you know when the technology caught up with them also, there's no like question marks and punctuation, he just used colons for some fucking reason. Something really particular when you look at these letters online is the way he, the letter writer writes Y. The letter Y is exactly the same in this one as it was with Mary Gillespie first receiving it. I just thought like that was interesting because it is clearly the same writer of these particular letters that they have been compiling and sending to fresh hour so it was again targeted so after the parole board rejects his appeal there's this journalist and investigator that gets involved in the case and investigates this in 1993 his name is martin yent So he writes to the parole board about witnessing this yellow El Camino, the car, 20 minutes before Mary made that bus route, where she discovered a booby trap. This apparently belonged to Karen's brother, so not her husband, but her brother. Also, they discovered a shoe print near the scene, like near the poster with the booby trap, and it didn't match Paul's shoe size. He also, like, expressed, like, his theories and his beliefs, saying that it is mo- most likely that this is not a single lone letter writer. It's at least two, possibly even three. And he speculates that one can be the school employee who like, liked Mary, but she never kind of responded to it. And then the second one was possibly Paul's ex wife Karen due to like, their messy divorce situation. So he wrote to the parole board, quote, In my 22 years as a journalist and investigator, I don't think I ever met an individual so consumed with such irrational hatred for another and the willingness to say anything, no matter how, provably false, to defame him. End quote. Pearl boy is like, okay, cool, there is something here now, you know, there is somebody witnessing something else that doesn't tie Paul fresh hour to the case. Also, Unsolved Mysteries, the TV show, was kind of like picking up on this story and wanted to cover it and was like preparing an episode for it when they got a letter from the Circleville writer telling them not to dare to expose Sheriff Radcliffe. The letter read, forget oh, yes, Circleville, Ohio. If you come to Ohio, you El will pay, the circle will writer. Like, the episode aired, because obviously they weren't, like, fucking scared of an unknown writer that is not technically doing anything, really, and doesn't have a target inside their studios. But it doesn't, like, expose much new things, but luckily in May 1994, Paul is paroled and has maintained his innocence ever since. And, I mean, unfortunately he died in 2012 and never got his name cleared, because nobody else was ever convicted of this. Now, the only other suspect that they kind of had, like, well, you know, there was not even a suspect, but maybe a person of interest, was that other person working for a school. He was working as a school bus driver. His name was David Longbury. And Mary kind of rejected his advances. And they kind of looked into him, but dropped it, even though he had, like, well, a criminal record, because he raped an 11-year-old girl. Also, he raped this girl who lived with her grandparents while the grandparents were in the house. So, he was just a disgusting fucking human being. But they never, like, actually properly questioned this. Well, Sherry Fredcliffe never properly questioned it, because he had somebody behind bars. And yes, he solved this murder. I hate pieces of shit like this. I, I care about the stats, I care about the numbers. I would probably be that person who, like, would suck as a police officer, because I would be like, yep, this is, um... A solved case now, and it's like, well, maybe it is a wrongful fucking person behind bars. And it's also if you just solve like a hundred cases out of a hundred without no hiccups, you know, without any fucking proper conclusive investigation a month, then maybe somebody should look into you and be like, how are your scores that high? How are you suddenly solving all of the fucking cases and have like a 100% success rate? Like, what the fuck are you doing? Now, moving on to my favorite part of this case, which is theories, speculations. Yes, this is what we are all here for. Let's do this. Because this is pretty much what it is that's concrete to this case. Hasn't been solved yet. Nobody really, you know, care to like reopen it as a cold case so the trail went cold what were the theories let's go i'm just slamming everything because i just went to put a blankie on because life in the uk is like that you know it was like all nice and warm five minutes ago and now i am fucking freezing i also might be going for like a very early menopause hopefully not <laughs> that would be like extremely early fucking menopause do we? You- Oh my god, I should research this. Like, did anybody go through menopause at, like, the age of 27? What am I on about? Okay, theories. Yes, this, um... My menopause theory might not be the most far-fetched thing you're gonna hear today. So, uh, There is obviously a ton of theories out there, and I would love to know yours as well. Obviously, there's a theory that this is a frame job by his ex-wife, Karen. Because, well, she was the only one who knew... Where the gun was, she kind of like snitched on him, and well, never ever moved a fucking finger to exonerate her fucking husband, well, ex-husband by that point. Then, there's a theory that, because some of those Sarkville letters have been signed with a W, so just letter W, it was speculated that they were written by Gordon's son William, so, Gordon Macy's Massey, son, William. Because, you know, he might have been pissed off that Mary had an affair with his dad. But again, it's, like, too close to the family. So, it's, like, would he really want to cost his dad his job, going to prison, lose sort of, like, both parents while they're going through, like, a fucking divorce? The very first theory I thought of when I read these letters is that they wrote we in, like, basically, well, all of them, to cover the track that it is a single writer. However, that has kind of been debunked because multiple people, and there are multiple letters where, like, the writing kind of varies, you know, the why is not the same in some of them, and then some of them are, like, really smaller, whereas some of them are, like, more bulky, different kind of sheets of paper as well. By the end of, like, this research, I kind of think there were at least two writers. Then there's the theory that this has all been conspired by the sheriff Radcliffe. Because it's just like a cover-up. That accident was never fully explained. Like, where did he shoot the gun? Then, like, all of this cover-up and just trying to imprison this guy, by all means necessary, okay? Not to use my fucking podcast name, but trying to imprison him by all fucking means necessary. By that, I mean, using that fucking Buckle Street writing test, what the fuck was that all about? and agreeing to use, you know, only certain amount of letters and not all of them. Actually, what came after this trial, but it was never, like, confirmed whether this was um, true or false, I don't think Radcliffe suffered any consequences in all of this. He didn't want those letters exposed, not because Paul was shady or something like that, but because a lot of them were addressed to him, saying that he was covering up allegations of, like, child molestations by a county coroner, and the district attorney, so the same one that prosecuted Paul, and wanted, well, these letters to not be presented for obvious reasons then. So saying the district attorney impregnated school teacher and then had had her murdered. In these letters that he was covering up, apparently Radcliffe was exposed for covering up the crimes in order to decrease the town's crime stats and further his career. So Martin and the investigative journalist, said the following, quote, I believe that the obscene, threatening, and dangerous letters were concealed because they would interfere with Sheriff Radcliffe becoming the National Sheriff's Association president. See the date of the letters and the date of the involvement with the National Sheriff's Association. The crime rate in Pickaway County at the time would have eliminated him from this appointment end quote. This is why I think he is involved because in this case, this is like a typical pre-election or yeah, well, in this case as well, pre-election campaign where it's like, yep, you're tying up loose ends, you're hushing everybody on the side. Let's just emphasize all of my successes and how many people have I actually arrested and then just, you know, keep all of these loose ends and all of these false imprisonments, like on the hush-hush. So those are the most theories out there. Okay, are you ready for mine? It's going to be far-fetched, I'm not gonna lie, but I shall convince you eventually, let's do this. First, let me tell you a theory, and then I'm gonna explain you how gossip works, and I'm gonna make a rocket science out of it, and then we're gonna go discuss the motives. okay? So, my theory is that both Karen and Radcliffe are the people behind this, alright? So the two of them have been the letter writers. Now... Why do I say this? Well, remember when Mary first received a letter, and then her husband did, and then the only people that they have shared it were their in-laws. And, well, we never hear about Mary's side of the family, and, like, what their opinions were. We never hear about anything being exposed about them. We only get involved with Ron's side of the family, Karen, and then her husband, Paul. And, well, that response by mary and ron basically saying like we know who you are might not have worked if well karen knew that they don't because she just here heard them speak about this and was like yeah they don't know shit. Who are they going to expose? They just told me that they were frightened, like, freaking out about this whole situation. In terms of sequence, I believed that the whole call and Ron just leaving abruptly and having that accident was actually an accident. It was, like, a completely unrelated event to this. I think it's, like, that part in a storyline where, like... Everybody's like, it is related to this. You know, this is how it fits the story. But I genuinely think this is like the unnecessary fucking bit that then was unfortunate, but that they Karen and Radcliffe used, well, to their advantage in a way, which is so fucked up. But I think the call was made by... David Longbury, who Mary has rejected, and maybe he was like, well, guess what, your wife is not just having the affairs these letters are exposing, but guess what, like, you know, maybe she's flirting with me, you know, she's flirting with me, or like, something along those lines, where he was just that pissed off that he immediately left the house. And then his death was a coincidence. And also, like, Karen and Ratliff would know most of the town's happenings. Like, Ratliff works for the police. And while well, Karen, I have no fucking idea what she did with her life, because we don't know anything about her, none of the letters mention her or exposed her in any way. So I don't know, was she just, like, not working and just fully committing to this, but it is really odd that no letters mention anything about her to mention everything about everybody else in that family. But also because like, why would you let an innocent man go down for this? Like, and why would you try so badly? Like, this whole investigation was complete bullshit. And yet you pressed and pressed just to convict like an innocent man. And who better to use to make sure that this happens than his disgruntled ex-wife? So some letters might not have even been the two of them Some other people might have gotten in on the gossip Because they were like, yep, I know what my neighbor did So a lot of them were probably copycat But the main ones mentioned were not Because they were written in the same accusatory When we set them up style Or like, I know where you live Now, before I explain the motives to you Or, well start that discussion, okay? Let me just explain a couple of things now, 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 this is serious business, okay? This is 15-year-old Maya living her best dream, explaining to you how the gossip works. Listen, I've been a gossip girl, I know this shit. I have drawn up two diagrams, okay, they're not really, don't, don't expect like some crazy shit. <laughs> don't expect a masterpiece, please. So, either check Twitter slash Instagram for those right now or even better, Close your motherfucking eyes. And let me picture this for you. So imagine one big circle, and then, like, a couple of small circles within. So the big circle represents Sarkaville. I know, it's no, no pun intended. I didn't do this on purpose, okay? That's the name of the fucking city. Moving towards the center, the next circle is the neighborhood. Moving even further towards the center, it's the police. And then in the very center of it all... Is Mary and Ron, and then Karen and Paul. So it's like this whole family, Fresh Hour and Gillespie. In terms of spreading the information, now there are two cycles that we can go through. The gossip can be going from outwards towards like the center of the circle. We are thinking about the going from the outer circle inwards, the person would have either picked like a particular person in all of these circles to target, or they would have. The whole family So thinking about it, it would be like Somebody from the police, cool, that matches That can be Radcliffe But then when we go to like the very inner circle It should have been only Mary That's where it should have stopped As it's easier, more powerful, like, you can have all this gossip on this one person within the circle and just get off on all the power that you have, rather than just, like, spreading it out on every single person in that family. So it would either be a particular person or a particular family as a whole and then just, like, ruin every single person in that family. And if you remember, well, we don't know that There was a single letter addressed to Karen, exposing Karen's life, exposing any fucking detail about her. She was the only one out of the four people in this, like, central fucking case that, well, got out out of this whole thing, scar-free, scot-free, whatever you want to call it. And if you're thinking about this going from the inner circle outwards, well, then it would kind of only make sense for, like, one person to be on top of it targeting everybody and also they would have like limited information and could only go like so far to you know maybe the next layer like here the police and only targeting Radcliffe Because, again, of course, they can't, unless they're fucking obsessive stalker of the whole of the neighborhood and the whole of the circle will go, like, towards the more outer layers. So here, they can do the most damage with the gossip to the immediate members of the family. So all of the three other people in that inner circle, Mary, Ron, and Paul, and then to, well, whoever the next person is that they can do damage to, which in this case in Radcliffe. So they can't, like, actually touch the outer circles, just because... Well, they can't do equal damage, and they also don't have the insane amount of information on them. So they're going close to home, you could say. Close to home. So secondly, if this was the case, for the person to do this successfully, they need to implicate themselves as well. So there are no letters sent to Karen that we know of, that she would have exposed, which is just dumb. If you remember Gossip Girl, the one that I remember, right... (laughs) the person behind it implicated themselves as well, just again, because otherwise you might as well fucking shout from the rooftops that it's you. Also, why wasn't she questioned more about the husband's gun, about, like, how she knew where it was, why it was missing? She apparently just knew that the gun wasn't there, she didn't do anything either about it, and she was just, like, super quick to fucking accuse her husband. And she knew where it was, so it might have as well been her taking it out. And I think it would also explain the focus on Radcliffe only after the accident because I think like Karen and Radcliffe might have been personally involved at some point and then she might have been framing yet another man. So to summarize, to successfully spread gossip. What you need to do is, if you are a random person from a big circle, you either focus on like random people from those inner circles, or you focus on either one person in the family or the family as a whole unit. And if you are within the group of friends that you wanna gossip about, wow, great, great character. <laughs> great personality traits. In that case, you gotta implicate yourself as well. And also, you might not be the person reaching out the furthest in that outer circle, but you can only probably focus on one other person that you might know some dirt on that's literally just right outside of your friendship or family unit circle. Also, perfectly on point, great segue, Control Z on Netflix is out now. I binged it in a day because it just gave me such Gossip Girl vibes. Also fits perfectly with this topic. So yeah, go watch it. It's a mess of a series. It's definitely not like one of the top fucking five series in my life, but it's so necessary, because nothing is happening In our lives, and literally in that show Everything is happening between like First minute and the last minute of every Episode, and it is exactly that Thing that I just mentioned about the Gossip Girl Where it's like somebody in the inner circle And then they're bitching about everybody Else, but they also implicated Themselves, so hey Let's learn, we live and we learn So yeah, that's how you gossip Guys, <laughs> this is uh, Tips and tricks from 15 year old Maya Handbook Now, you let me know what theory is stuck in your head. And do you agree with me of how the gossip travels? Do you fucking love these diagrams? Because I fucking do, okay? Now, let's discuss the motive. Power. That's it. Power. (laughs) like, let's let's just finish this section. (laughs) Straight up. Whoever was behind this was getting off on it. You know, the way that A did in Pretty Little Liars the way that the Gossip Girl did in Gossip Girl. (laughs) And that's yet another thing why I think it was Karen and Radcliffe, because one is power-hungry, you know, to fucking shut crimes and show himself as, like, this best fucking sheriff in town, and the other one is power-hungry just because they're fucking idle. They're, like, they're not getting any fucking attention, clearly, because it's uh, them writing the letters and they don't know how life works. So they need this in their life. They need to feel like they're important. And that's the whole fucking purpose of it. Be like known as an unknown. Be this person who is like hiding behind the curtain, just spying on the whole neighborhood and targeting this whole fucking family. Having all of this power without anybody knowing who it is. So the next time, before you open your mailbox or just pick up the fucking post because it probably flew through your letterbox, take a deep breath of gratitude as you're not receiving a letter, starting with, I know where you live. The sources for this podcast have been that the trail went cold, the podcast, the lineup article on circle Letter Writer, conspiracy theories.in, the circle Letters, Ranker.com, Circaville, Letter, Writer, effects And DarkHistories.com, Circaville, Letters, Mystery. And now that you know how the gossip works, share it with your friends and family. We're all in this together. Bam. Now, as all of you have been dying to find out what fairy tale am I going to destroy for you this week, well, <laughs> well, on my scale of hatred towards fairy tales, this one is actually pretty low you know that doesn't necessarily mean that i believed in it i just um built rapport with it in a certain way. I am, of course, talking about the Little Red Riding Hood. Or, as I like to refer to it in this uh, text, as the LRRH. Because truly, we don't have this time. What is this title? The most problem I have with this is with the freaking name of this creature. Like, why? Why not just call her with, like, a name? Why the Little Red Riding Like, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Ah, oh, god. Ah, <laughs> god. Why I think I have at least, like, less problems with it than with Cinderella or anything else is because there's kind of, like, a moral to it, I guess. There's, like, a really solid moral to it. And because, like, she loved her grandmother and I have, like, such a great bond with my great-grandmother. Okay, cool, that's it. That's it for my love for uh, the little RRH. That would be a cool rapper name. No, I wouldn't. Even LRRH doesn't roll off the tongue, Maya. What the fuck? so as all, all of you of course know the actual story by the way i had to google it because <laughs> i didn't know how the actual story went i am so like, my childhood was sad okay i would go into the room and invent stories by myself and talk to myself okay what are we even on about why do you think I was just sitting there reading fairy tales? What the fuck? I watched telenovelas, man. Like, I was always in for drama. It just wasn't giving it to me. Again, the actual story is, you know, Little Red Riding Hood, is just, like, goes to deliver her grandma the goodies, but she is going the long way. The wolf cuts the way, gets to the grandma's house first, eats her up. eats <laughs> her, not eats her up. Eating her up would mean he is... Oh my god. Okay, <laughs> cut this up point of the story grandma gets eaten by the wolf and then the little red riding hood is just like knocking on the door like do 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 and the wolf is just screaming from inside he lets her in but she doesn't still realize that it's a fucking wolf and not her grandma because i don't know she's fucking blind and doesn't realize how fur looks like compared to skin again what the fuck are fairy tales all about and then it goes into the ah oh, what big ears do you have grandma like do you not know how your grandma looked like or sounded like before anyways anyways it's getting higher on my scale of hatred right now, it's fine. Once she realizes it's wolf, she screams loud enough, the woodsman comes, saves her, they open up the wolf, and because of how wolf's digestion system works, of course, the grandma is still inside and alive and safe. Yeah, that, that's how life works. She is inside of a wolf, like a whole grown-ass woman, and she is alive and safe. Hmm, that's right. Obviously, in the original story, that hasn't been softened by the Brothers Grimm in 1697 in Charles Perrault's story also by the way I read this one online so I'm gonna have even quotes on it this is where my research leads me Okay, LRRH cannibalizes her own grandmother after the wolf tears her apart and serves her guts to the girl fuck this story. Also, apparently in this story, this is why I had to read both versions, because I was like, what if this is the original version? I just don't remember it. But yeah, this is not in the older versions. So, the wolf apparently makes her come into the bed naked and she just obeys. She just goes into the bed thinking it's a grandma. First of all, why are you getting naked into the bed with grandma? This story just has so many questions. So, so many questions. And then once she is in bed naked with a fucking wolf, no, there's no sexual assault, there's no like, woo crossover between animals and humans. No, this could have gone into so many different directions. No, wolf just fucking eats her. And this is how the story ends. Aren't you fucking happy that I'm destroying this? <laughs> Somehow destroying my whole life into reading these fucking original versions of fairy tales. Let me read you some quotes from the Charles Perrault story. The wolf, seeing her come in, said to her, hiding himself under the bedclothes. Why does this bitch not, like, tell him to show her her face? What is life? Okay, quote, back to the quote. Put the cake and a little pot of butter upon the stool and come get into bed with me. Pervy. Pervy as fuck. Totally sounds like a grandma saying. You know that awkward moment when your grandma asks you to get naked and get into the bed with her? Like, so relatable. (laughs) okay next sentence a little red riding hood took off her clothes and got into bed this guy is such a perv such a perv next sentences she was greatly amazed to see how her grandmother looked in her night clothes and said to her grandmother what big arms you have i swear to god this quarantine needs to end i cannot be reading like original versions of fairy tales This just so fucking bizarre also why is there so much sexual tension in these original versions and then nothing happens out give me some fucking drama then but also why is she naked the wolf never actually even told her to get out of the clothes she just like took her clothes off to get into her her grandma's nightclothes also why is the grandma in nightclothes it's like the middle of the day so many fucking questions i fucking hate fairy tales fuck my childhood fuck your childhood as well if you're actually reading your kids these stories now if that pissed me off what pissed me off even more was th- what they said themselves to be the moral of this story children especially attractive well-bred young girls young ladies should never talk to strangers okay sorry so what young boys should talk to strangers. what the fuck because if they do so they might well provide dinner for a wolf i say wolf but there are various kinds of wolves <laughs> Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> there are also those who are charming, quiet, polite, unassuming, complacent, and sweet. Okay, did somebody just google synonyms for like complacent who pursue young women at home and in the streets them right, they just googled like Ten Bundy, and they were like, "Okay, how did they describe ten Bundy and Unfortunately, it is these gentle wolves who are the most dangerous of them all. <laughs> Or just to summarize for you, the moral of the r- Little Red Riding Hood is just trust no bitch, like, especially if it's a wolf. Like, first of all, it's an animal. Why are you talking to an animal? Why is your life? And possibly another moral of the story is um, don't get intimate with your grandma. Maybe it should go without saying, but um, yeah. <laughs> you, you will grow up, you will grow up one day, and you will find somebody of your age. It's okay. Don't, don't commit incest, little child. By the way, shout-out to the friend of mine who doesn't even let his, like, 15-year-old sister listen to this podcast. Because it's not appropriate. (laughs) This might be why. Mm -hmm. Moving on to a lot better of a story. Oh my god, I just realized, I didn't do this on purpose, but apparently this version of LRIH was released in 1697. And this next story I'm gonna talk to you about happened uh, in the same decade, 1692 to 1693. Wow! That's totally not gonna be inappropriate and so fucking weird. It's Salem Witch Trials. In the light of this, I got a lot of the Salem Witch Trials episodes, and I would definitely recommend people who are into this, like, minisodes and into just learning random things, to watch TED-Ed. It's a video kind of podcast. So yeah, you can follow it, I think, on Apple Podcasts only. And on YouTube, actually, as well. So it is usually just, like, a couple of minutes snippet of a topic. And yeah, this was, like, one of the more recent episodes. I was like, huh, this is interesting. I never actually inquired a lot about this. And boy, is it weird. (laughs) So first of all, it's called Salem Witch Trials because it originates in a city called Salem in Massachusetts. They were going on between February 1692 and May 1693, when it just reached the next level of paranoia about the supernatural. And when the justice system was only about repentance, and not really about the truth and about the true testimonies. So, about this area at the time is, like, English Protestants settled there, but they were battling with Native Americans and with French settlers, so it was, like, shitty relationship between the neighbors, and they really, like, feared any form of disease, it was kind of, like, othering each other, so, you know, how Nazis kind of related to Jews. Well, it was kind of that in 1690s. Also, they had, like, a smallpox outbreak that happened recently, and all of these fueled the hysteria, so it was just like, well, you know, if these people haven't settled here, maybe we wouldn't have had disease, maybe the smallpox wouldn't have broken out. So everything trying to, like, dehumanize and other everybody else. Also wearing black clothing, so this is where it comes from. It's like all black everything outfits were a no-no, because it was against the strict Puritan code of Salem, which is just like color, they just wanted color, like, I respect that. <laughs> Okay, I don't respect what they have done. Let me just clarify this. I don't condone any of this shit. So it starts off with the cousins, Patty Paris, who was nine, and Abigail Williams, who was 11. These two started behaving strangely. And then their parents brought them to a physician who diagnosed them as under an evil hand. Legit condition, yeah? You know how when your doctor diagnoses you with a the flu? like, mm-mm-mm. These two are fucking possessed. And not just that, but, like, it seems to escalate. Symptoms appear to spread. Now, suddenly, it was, like, more and more up until 12 girls that seemingly had had um, this condition. So they were all having fits, complaining of prickling skin. Uh, Most of these girls accused three women of tormenting them. Now, if you're thinking logically, this could have just genuinely been, like, a rash or a flu or something that has actually spread, like a virus. No, no. Mm-mm, not in 1692. Not on their watch. They arrested three women: Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tituba, who was an enslaved woman in Betty Paris's home. Actually, so Tituba was actually the only one that confessed of practicing witchcraft on Devil's orders to basically save herself because she realized she's not gonna get out of there if she doesn't confess. But she also said that Good and Osborne forced her. Now, Sarah Osborne maintained her innocence and Wood's husband turned against her, testifying she was either a witch or would be one quickly. How do you know that? Like, (laughs) I don't understand how were you identifying witchcraft husband, moron. It's just that's the thing. It's like they used even kids. To testify, like so even those cousins like nine and twelve, like they were taking their testimonies, as well as you know, any relatives and anybody over basically what these women were saying. They were like, No no no, she's either a witch or she's gonna become one. I, I sense it. I feel it in the air. Now, to make matters worse, Good's own daughter was in prison and eventually testified against her own mother. Good even gave birth in jail. To another child, but in the end she ended up convicted and hanged, because everybody fucking testified against her, like, what is wrong with people, just for them not to end up in prison, and end the same way, because you couldn't technically be, like, related to anybody doing witchcraft, could you? So Tituba was the only one that was actually eventually released. By far the grossest fact I can find about this, after listening to like a full episode of like Salem witch trials. Okay, this is this might be the grossest thing you have heard on this podcast. So ju- just saying, just saying, you know, skip like next 60 seconds, maybe. In England in 17th century, it was believed that witches' cake had a power to reveal whether witchcraft was affecting a person with like any symptoms or an illness. Now, that sounds great, right? It's like, okay, cool, we can identify a witch. No, this cake was made with dry flour and urine of an afflicted person. And then, not just that, no, 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 they would feed this cake to a dog. And if a dog exhibited the same symptoms as the ill person, then the presence of the witchcraft was proven. First of all, so many issues. So many issues. Why are you feeding a dog? Also, are you forcing forcing the afflicted person to piss on a cake? So yes, an animal is going to be afflicted if they're drinking urine. Like, of course, they're gonna show symptoms, they're gonna fucking vomit all over the place. Now, why a dog? A dog was believed to be a common familiar associated with the devil. So the dog was actually a point, like supposed to point to the witches that have afflicted the victim. You know how we have sniffer dogs today? This is what I fucking use but just feeding dogs with urine. Stop fucking with animals. Okay, going back to the timeline and the Salem witch trials. Obviously, there were further women and men that were just hanged because they refused to confess and admit guilt over something that they're not to save themselves. So the justice system at the time just appreciated confessions, asking for forgiveness, and then promising you will never engage in further witchcraft. Pinky promise. woo So in total, 14 women and 6 men were executed. And it was all happening until the governor's wife was to be executed because, again, the paranoia, the panic, the fear, everything just spread insanely. And then the government was like, okay, okay, this kind of went out of control. And suddenly everything came to the halt. There were no more trials, no more executions. So the moral of this story is don't accept children's accusations. Don't trust children much. Don't accept it as hard evidence. And also don't trust the scapegoating. Don't trust group thinking and the power of fear. And maybe, well, if admitting guilt in order not to die is the only way out, then fuck it. That's actually an interesting law. I think it was used in West Memphis Free and like loads of other famous cases. Where like after serving time, basically they sign a plea deal where the convicted basically says... That there are enough evidence for them to be proven guilty, but that they remain innocent, it's such a dumb law in the US, but technically, it doesn't differ much from this. It's just that they're not hanged for being witches, but technically they need to be, like, living with accepting the guilt and that being the public knowledge. So, yeah, what I'm trying to say is we aren't mentally that far away from 1692. Yeah, how does that make you feel? If you take anything out of this episode, though, it is that I want you desperately to send me the stories of how you tried to escape your house, okay? <laughs> like I want you to send me everything else that I have sent you know, tr- crimes, motives behind crimes, you know, your childhood memory, everything but most importantly right now to me is that you send me your failed attempts to run away from your house please, by my gmail.com or all the socials, they're below I'm on Instagram now as well Whoop. I post quizzes that are morbid as fuck, okay? <laughs> Also, this week, if you head to Patreon and sign up to um, the £10 tier, I'm covering the case of Princess Diana and just, like, most of the conspiracy theories, including the Serbian one. Because yet again, they're out for me, guys. They're out for me personally. You're personally out for me, okay? (laughs) How long? This episode just doesn't have any end, does it? It just goes on for, like, hours. (laughs) Let's wrap this up in the usual fashion. Because, I mean, you're already late for your next Zoom call. And at this point, there is always that one person that kind of is looking like more scruffy and like more kind of, you know, their their facial hair has grown, female or male. (laughs) I have proper fucking stash. Nice little mini Hitler stash going on. Enough about me though people's hair has grown they kind of look like you know slightly hobo but like in a good way like you actually like how it looks on them and you just go in you're like "Mm, look at them give them a bit of compliments give them a bit of confidence Pulled a Maya from the office that was just complimenting everybody on what they were wearing even though I truly, truly never cared. Still don't. Like, wow, I never realized how yellow looks on you. Like, it really makes your eyes enunciate. <laughs> also, you should definitely keep that facial hair going once we're back in the office. Ha <laughs> Wink, wink. It, it will work, okay? Also, if it doesn't, you can always go back to Tinder and... <laughs> Because the government now allows you to exercise as much as you want. What are you do? Listen. <laughs> don't listen. Oh god, I'm gonna sound like a fucking stalker. Okay. If um, your wink-wink complimenting your hobo-looking colleague doesn't work, you go on Tinder, you check the radius, and then you check parks in that radius. So if you, like, a match with somebody, right? <laughs> what you do is you don't respond, you don't interact with them. No, no, no. You figure out where which parks they're gonna go in that radius and then you just like lurk around that park. It's like, Oh my god, such a coincidence. We have met in person. And that way you never have to tell your kids one day that you met somebody on a dating app. What the fuck is my life on about? Bar- <laughs> you know, um it's a Zoom call or um or a Tinder call. Trade to getting you late continues, ladies and gentlemen. It is a serious business of mine, matchmaking you and other people to meet in real life and somehow not tell people that you met on a dating app. What am I doing it? Why am I doing it? F- fuck knows. <laughs> but then never forget... If you actually meet that person in a park, are they doing the same thing? Question it. Question the motives. Why the fuck are they in that park? If you already matched on Tinder, that's hella suspicious. Sorry, maybe they maybe they'll have listened to this advice. <laughs> or maybe they are just fucked up in the head and actually fought this process without me even telling them. That, that means they're technically slightly psycho, but yeah. Question again, motives behind people's actions, but most definitely, motives behind crimes. Because truly, if you do that, if you question a random person in the park, if you question actions behind random person in a park, and you question your own process of thinking in that very same moment, you shall keep making this world a better place, one motive at a time. That went so off the rails what was last 20 minutes even on about i don't know do you know does anybody we're all stuck here okay no now go on move on with your fucking monday like go join that zoom call and get yourself laid (laughs) bye fuckers